One of the key theologians of the 20th century uh, is a Swiss man named Karl Barth. Uh, I love this picture. He just looks like a guy that would be great to have conversations with, doesn't he? Um, the story's told that uh, in the 1960s, Karl Barth was uh, giving some lectures in the United States. Uh, and at the University of Chicago, uh, in 1962, it says, uh, during a Q&A session, a student came up to the mic and asked if Karl Barth would be able to summarize his whole life's work in theology in a sentence. He said, yes, I can. In the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This morning, uh, you know, in this series, let's talk about fill in the blank. We've addressed some challenging topics, uh, and it's Mother's Day, and we get to just like bask in a, a simpler one, uh, we hope. Um, but we're going to spend some time uh, talking about the gospel. It's it's obviously something that we talk about all the time. It's embedded in most of what we talk about. But we're going to take some time to explicitly look at it this morning. And so, uh, in the same way that Karl Barth can say, I've devoted my whole vocational life to studying theology and trying to understand more about God and what he says in his word. But if you ask me to summarize what I know, I would say it's in this little children's song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So the gospel is something simple enough that we can understand it and receive it at just about any point, but we can also devote our whole lives to trying to understand it more and more and more and never exhaust its wonder. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, we're going to look at verses 3 through 5 and then 8 through 12, where Peter just kind of gives us a framework to celebrate what the gospel is and then gives us a little bit of an example of just how fascinating it is as well. And then uh, we're going to spend some time talking about some things that we have heard about the gospel, um, maybe things that we've even said uh, that aren't always totally accurate uh, to dig into what the gospel really is. Uh, and I hope that as you join me on this journey, it'll be a blessing for all of us. So 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Jumping down to verse 8, Peter continues, Though you have not seen Jesus Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then in verse 10, uh, Peter starts to talk about uh, the exploration of the gospel and how fascinating it is and how it's consumed people who have gone before us. He writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was, was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So Peter describes for us the wonder of the gospel. He says that the gospel is this rich treasure that has been given to us as we've been given new life in Christ through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that this treasure of the gospel is held safely in heaven where nothing can damage it, nothing can steal it, nothing can threaten it. It's held safe for us. It's a glorious and wonderful truth that as we come to terms with who we are and what God has done on our behalf, that it transforms us. And though we don't, we haven't seen Jesus face to face as, G, as Peter was writing even the, in the first century to people who were spread out and had never seen Jesus. But he says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you can't see him right now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The gospel is a beautiful treasure. And then Peter tells us that the prophets who spoke long ago, centuries before, that they worked really hard to figure out when all these things that God had compelled them to say would come true. And Peter writes that the Spirit revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves or their own generation, but that what they were talking about would come to fruition far into the future that they were serving you, the readers of Peter's letter in the first century, but also us as we read it today. As we have heard this news and received it for ourselves. And then, I love this verse, the end of verse 12. Peter declares that the messengers of God, the angels, his servants, who devote their lives to worship these fierce warriors who protect the gospel and protect God's people throughout the earth. Even the angels long to look into these things. Even the angels just want to understand better what God is doing, that he would risk himself and put his own glory on the line to rescue people who have gone astray.
But that is what he's done. And it is a rich treasure for us to hear it and to receive it and to know that God desires that it would be our treasure. So this morning we want to spend some time just examining it ourselves. And hearing some things that we might hear or say about the gospel and wrestling with how that might distract us from what the gospel truly says, that we might hear it and receive it in a fresh way this morning. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you speak through your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal truth to us. We pray that as we reflect on your word today, as we reflect on this treasure, the gospel, that you would expose the darkness in us, the confusion in us, any inaccuracies, that we might hear your truth from your voice and receive it as the life-giving message you intend it to be for us. We pray that you'd set us free in the gospel and make us whole and make us yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first myth uh, this morning is that the gospel tells me that I'm okay. And it's, it's a message that we would hear throughout society, and often it's, it, it's really just a distortion of the great truth that God wants us to know. But that because we can come to God as we, just as I am, sometimes we convince ourselves that the, the heart of the gospel and the love of God is that we can just be content with exactly where we are. But that's not at all what Scripture tells us. And that's not what the heart of God would want us to know. And so the truth is that the gospel tells me I am loved. Not that I'm okay the way I am, but that I'm loved. And that God moved heaven and earth so that he might have a relationship with me and not leave me as I am, but rescue me and make me his own. Romans 6.23, in one verse, summarizes the gospel really well. It says, for the wages of sin is death. The payment, the result of sin is death. And scripture is clear that each of us all of us, that every human being who has ever walked the earth apart from Jesus, who is also fully God, has been tainted and corrupted by sin. A darkness in us, a wickedness in us, uh, a distortion of our understanding. We were made on purpose by God to experience him in his love and to trust him. But in our fear and in our lack of trust, we just are compelled to try to be in charge, to protect ourselves, and to do what seems right to us instead of trusting the one who made us. That's what sin is. Sometimes it's lived out in bold and horrible, evil ways, and sometimes it just interrupts our understanding of ourselves, it interrupts our, our relationships, it distorts our understanding of God. And it doesn't look shocking to us all the time, but it always has impact. One of the most famous verses in Scripture is John 
And it too tells us not that we're okay, but that on our own we're in trouble. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, the assumption in the verse is that we are in trouble. We will perish apart from this dramatic and miraculous work of God. We are not okay. We are a mess. But we are loved, and God has done in Jesus Christ exactly what we need. Second, because of Jesus, sin doesn't matter. Jesus came, he paid for our sin on the cross, he died, and so I can be forgiven. So it just doesn't matter. Because I know I can turn to him and ask for forgiveness, and he'll give it to me. But the truth is that sin always matters. It always has consequences, but Jesus has conquered our sin. In 1 Peter 2.11, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. As I said, sin always matters. It always has consequences. It separates us from each other. It breaks our relationship. Uh, I often tell people as they're preparing for marriage uh, that marriage is one of those relationships in our lives where it just exposes our sin all the time. You think you're doing pretty well when you're just living on your own, and then you live with someone else 24-7, and it doesn't take long to realize how prideful and selfish you can be. And then you have kids. And then you just convince them that they're the ones who are selfish. <laughs> but I experience the impact and the consequences of my sin, not only in my relationship with God, but in my relationship with, with my wife and my kids. When I'm prideful and when I'm ill-tempered. I can say hurtful things. I can do hurtful things. I can be hurt. And not because we dislike each other. Sometimes in moments we do. But um, but our sin breaks our understanding of ourselves. Our sin breaks our relationships with each other. Our sin separates us from the God who knows us and loves us. Which reminds me that I think I only said the first half of Romans 6.23, uh, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy 4.10, it's, it's probably the only one of these verses that I'll be able to spend time on yet um, this morning, but I invite you to read them. Uh, the ones from Colossians uh, talk about how Jesus conquers our sin and assures us. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 4, verse 10, Paul is writing to his dear friends, his disciple Timothy. 
Second Timothy is his last letter of his life. And he's pouring out his heart about all kinds of things about the gospel and God and ministry. But in chapter 4, verse 10, he writes, well, in verse 9, he says, Come to me quickly. And then he says, For Demas, and Demas is a man that we were introduced to in Philippians and Colossians, is someone who is working alongside the apostles, doing great ministry. But here, at the end of Paul's life, he writes, For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Our sin always has consequences and it always risks. If we give ourselves to our sinful impulses, it can harden our hearts and turn us away from the God who loves us and rescues us in Jesus. So we don't want to be callous about sin. Sin definitely matters, but it is conquered. Jesus' death paid for all of our sins. The third myth. Grace fills in the gaps between our own goodness and the perfect righteousness and righteous expectations of God. Like we go as far as we can and then Jesus fills in the gap. Well, that may be true, but the gap is like all of it. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That everything we do is tainted and corrupted by sin. That we are never perfectly and purely good on our own in what we do. The Spirit can do good things in and through us. But we are redeemed but not good. Sin affects everything. Grace is our only hope. Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The gospel is the very power of God that rescues us and transforms us. That in the gospel, we are made new. We've been brought from death to life. We are a new creation. That Jesus himself has taken on our sin. He has become sin for us that in him we might become his righteousness. It's an incredible exchange. But grace doesn't fill in the gap. We don't have any goodness to stand on, on our own. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing of significance. But, his grace is sufficient for us. It's enough. And the last myth that we'll talk about today is that the gospel is only the beginning. 
It's really good for people who don't know God. And then we just turn to other places to learn all the things and get better and better and stronger. But the gospel is our identity and our strength. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We often think of the gospel as just this safety net that we talked about in the last time. Like, we do as much as we can, and then when we stumble, it's there to catch us. But the gospel is actually transforming us into something different than we were apart from God before. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, Abide in me. Live in me. Remain in me. He says, because apart from me, you can do nothing. And the gospel is our method for staying close to Jesus, for abiding in him, for becoming his how does that work? What, what impact does the gospel have on our lives today? How does it play out? How does it make us strong? Well, in many of the ways that we've already seen, one, the gospel is this incredibly safe place for us to be vulnerable and honest. God's word tells us the truth. That there is darkness, sin, and evil in us. We are not okay. And when we experience that, we don't have to hide and pretend and try to make it look like we're better than we are. Instead, we know that God knows the truth about us and loves us in the midst of it and has done everything that we need to be brought from death to life, to be brought from enemies of God to becoming his children. And so, we don't have to run and hide from God like Adam and Eve did. When we're convicted of our sin and our sin and darkness is revealed in us, instead we turn to the Lord. and We confess to him our sin. Say, Lord, you know all things. You know what I just did. You know, I was short with my wife, and I, she deserves better than that. You know, I just called that driver down the road a name because they cut me off. And that name is not who they are. They're an image bearer of God, and they might not even know it. And I'm yelling at them, but I have no idea how many people I cut off while I was yelling. It gives us the freedom and the privilege and the strength to be honest about the darkness in us before the Lord and with one another. Because if the God of the universe who is perfect and righteous in all things will meet us with love and grace, then even if the person next to me can't do that, I know it's safe enough for me to admit that I'm wrong because God loves me. And when I'm angry and frustrated with the people in my life and they come to me, asking for 
forgiveness and apologizing. And I'm really hurt. And I'm really angry. I have the opportunity to remember that nothing they've done to me is worse than what I've done to the Lord. And God meets me with grace. And so I can trust him to give me grace for them. Now, do I do that perfectly? No, ask my family. Um, and many of you have experienced that with me. Uh, but it's the power of the gospel in our lives. That's what it means to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation. We are children of the king. We are safe in his love. And so we don't have to hide and pretend or try to protect ourselves. When I find that I'm being anxious, even as I'm preparing to get up here and speak, I can sit in the pew and say, Lord, I know you are good and you are with me in all things. And you've told me I don't need to be anxious because I can trust you. And the fact that I am anxious suggests that I'm trying to trust myself in some of this. But I know you love me. I can meet you. You're enough for me. Help me live that out. That's how we're strong in the gospel. It's not just for the beginning and I was tortured in years of my life as I received the gospel and received assurance of salvation. But then I thought it was my duty to prove to God that it was worth it to put his son's life on the line for me. And I tried so hard to be better. And I was disappointed in myself all the time. And it was exhausting. And then in my second or third senior year of college, I can't remember which, second senior year of college, I was invited to experience the gospel for what it really is. Not just the beginning, not just this happy thought that says God can rescue me from my sins and the rest is on me. But that God is with us at all times, always refining us. And that ref refining process can be difficult. It can be hard because it does expose the darkness in us. We do have to wrestle with whether our pain is always caused by other people or sometimes... It's our own. But he's enough for us. And he's promised to complete the good work that he started in us. And he will see us through. The gospel isn't only the beginning, it's, it's our everything. It becomes our identity that we are the redeemed of the Lord. You see, that adoption into God's family 
never separates us from our dark past. We are the redeemed, which means we were in trouble. We had to be bought with a price that cost Jesus his life. But God so loved us that he counted us worthy of such a sacrifice. And he will walk with us all the days of our lives and continue to pursue us so that when we turn from him, when we resist this great and wonderful truth, even in just parts of our life, that he will want to expose more and more of it day after day, moment after moment, that we would come to know ourselves as children of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. And we are not worthy of this truth or this act. But we are desperate and we need it and we're so grateful that you love us this much. We pray that you would help us not grow tired, comfortable, or apathetic in the love that you have for us in the gospel. But that you would renew us, refresh us, restore us, strengthen us, and encourage us that we might be wholly yours and through your work become your holy people. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name.